Listeners, welcome back to Heart and Soul Gospel Ministries Unity in Christ program. If this is your first time listening, my name is Christine Kim, and I'm the host of this program. If I think back to a time in my life when I was the most remorseful and regretful, it was when I lived my life away from the Father. Just like the story of the prodigal son in the Bible, think of the happiness that one feels when returning home to a loving father after living a life according to the world. Don't you think that one could feel the full warmth in their hearts from experiencing God's grace again? Even after attending all the church services and volunteering in many events for the church, I couldn't help but feel a void inside my heart. I did feel a warmth in my heart, but there was no change in my life. I felt a void because I realized I was not living my life according to God's will and purpose for my life. I began to be jealous of those who spoke in tongues during the early morning service at church. When I looked at those who were praying in tongues, they seemed to be praying with the Holy Spirit in their hearts. I began to be interested in praying in tongues because I thought it showed experience and knowledge. Then one day, when I was on a church retreat, I told someone that I would like to learn how to pray in tongues, and she suggested that we pray together with a few people that are able to. She told me to follow them when they are praying in tongues, and at some point my tongue will twist and I will begin to speak in tongues as well. I couldn't believe in what she was asking me to do, but because I wanted desperately to pray in tongues, I began repeating "la la 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 la" out loud. We continued to pray hard throughout that night. So, what do you think happened to me that night? Do you think that I gained the ability to pray in tongues? Although I had high expectations, I was not able to pray in tongues that night. A little after the retreat. The pastor came up to me and asked me a question: "Why do you want to learn how to pray in tongues? There must be a reason why you decided you wanted to learn." My mind went blank at the question, and I began to give an embarrassing excuse. I answered, "If I pray in tongues, I feel that I can pray with more faith, become closer to God, and most importantly, pray for a longer period of time, leading to a closer relationship with God." Then the pastor asked me again, "Why do you think you will pray with more faith if you pray in tongues? Why do you believe that your relationship with God will be closer if you pray for a longer period of time?" I had no answers to those questions. When I think back to what happened that night, I still get red in the face from the embarrassment. I laugh at myself for wanting to pray in tongues so much that I kept repeating "la la 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 la" while praying. If I think back, I know that I wanted to become closer to God, and I wanted to become a mature Christian, but just didn't know how to get there. I didn't know what I really needed. I had no idea what I should desperately look for. What do Christians need? What should true Christians be desperately searching for? Are you all looking for that in your lives as well? 
We'll continue our talk after listening to our next song.
What is it that we as Christians should be desperately searching for? What is it that we need most in our lives? Jesus told us in Luke chapter 11, verses 9 to 13. So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks it will be opened. Now suppose one of you fathers is asked by his son for a fish. He will not give him a snake instead of a fish, will he? Or if he asks for an egg, he will not give him a scorpion, will he? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? That is right. Jesus told us that we should be looking for what he promised to give to those who ask the Holy Spirit. If you are a Christian, you want to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Isn't that right? David in Psalm chapter 51 verse 11 said, Do not cast from me your presence or take you Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. When I look at Christians around me today, I don't see many of them who are looking to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Why is that? If you really want to be filled with the Holy Spirit, then you will ask God for it. If you desperately ask God for it, He will give it to you as He promised. What does it mean to be filled with the Holy Spirit? The moment we accept Christ as our Savior, we were indwelled with the Holy Spirit. To live by the Spirit means to listen to the initial promptings of the Holy Spirit. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 30, the Bible says, Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. If you think about what these words really mean, to be filled with the Holy Spirit means that we surrender everything in our lives. If you think about what these words really mean, to be filled with the Holy Spirit means that we surrender everything in our lives. But the problem is that we want to be filled with the Holy Spirit, but at the same time, live our lives the way we want to. Isn't it our nature, as sinners, to control what happens in our lives? But when we are filled with the Holy Spirit, we will begin to live our lives according to God. God will sometimes lead our lives in a completely different direction than what we had in mind. There will be times when God asks us to give up our dreams in our comfortable lives. In the beginning, it may seem like you are losing many things in life and that you may be asked to give up many things that you love. But God has said in Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 11, I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. God will lead us away from the wide road and lead to the path of the cross. We have to ask ourselves, are we willing to trust God's plans for our lives? We tell ourselves that we want to be filled with the Holy Spirit. We often pray asking to be filled with the Holy Spirit. 
but we may not want it enough to give God the whole control of our lives or to follow Him in any path that He leads us. We ask for the Holy Spirit with our mouths, but do not really seek for the Holy Spirit that God had promised. It is because we do not honestly seek for the Holy Spirit that we do not receive it. Do you all want to be filled with the Holy Spirit and live your lives according to God? Do you seek the Holy Spirit enough to walk the path God has designed for your life? Or is being filled with the Holy Spirit just your wishful thinking? But Romans chapter 8 verse 9 says, But if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. There's nothing worth more that will ever come close. Nothing can compare. You're our living hope. Your presence. I've tasted and seen. Of the sweetest of loves Where my heart becomes free And my shame is undone Your presence, Lord
face and fill the atmosphere Your glory, God, is what our hearts long for To be overcome by your presence, Lord Coming up next is a sermon by Pastor David Plot of Radical. Today's topic is Jesus is Worthy of, Part 1, based on Luke chapter 9. I hope you have blessed time with Pastor David Plot. If you have your Bible, and I hope you do, I want to invite you to open with me to Luke chapter 9. Today, topic has been the character and nature of God. Thankfully, God has not left this open for us to wonder about who he is, that he has revealed himself, not only in his word, but in his person. And so what I want us to do this morning is take a look at Christ, and I want you to see his worth in Luke chapter 9. Now, you've got to know the context of what we're about to read. Verse 51 says, Luke tells us that Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. And you could underline that in your Bible as kind of a key shift in the whole book of Luke because what's waiting for Jesus in Jerusalem is a cross and, and Luke is telling us that Jesus is headed to the cross and so everything we read from Luke 9, 51 on really needs to be read in light of the fact that Jesus is headed to the cross. And so with that in mind, I want you to pick up with me there in verse 57. Luke chapter 9, verse 57 says, As they were walking along the road, a man said to him, him being Jesus, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus replied, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. He said to another man, follow me. But the man replied, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Still another said, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me go back and say goodbye to my family. And Jesus replied, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back as fit for service in the kingdom of God. If you're taking notes this morning, I want you to see three characteristics of Christ. And I want us to do something a little different. I want us to see Christ revealed in this passage. Then I want to share some testimony from my own life recently that I think uh, hopefully will help us understand exactly what this passage is telling us. Number one, I want you to see that Christ, the Jesus, is worthy of all of our trust. This first guy comes up to Jesus and says, I'll follow you wherever you go. And Jesus says, foxes have holes, birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. That's a pretty incredible statement. The hopes of the world resting on the shoulders of a homeless man at this point. This is pretty encouraging being from New Orleans. I can almost picture Jesus taking this guy to the side. All of these crowds flocking around Jesus, this man eager to follow him. And let's be honest, this does not seem to be Jesus doing what we would expect him to do. He almost seems to be talking this guy out of following him. I can picture Jesus kind of pulling this guy to the side, putting his arm around him and said, I want, you to, I want you to look down this road I'm on. I want you to look past all of those people waving palm branches and singing my praises. Look, look past that intimate meal with my closest friends, the disciples. Look past that woman who's anointing my feet with expensive oil. Look past all that and you're going to see a cross. And by the way, there are no holiday inns on the way. Jesus is telling this guy that if he follows him, he has no guarantee of shelter over his head, no guarantee of food, no guarantee of anything regarding the basic necessities of life. If he follows Jesus, all he's got is Jesus. Jesus is worthy of all of our trust. Number two, 
Jesus is worthy of all of our plans and dreams. I'll be honest with you, it's this next guy that really uh, I struggle with the most. Jesus initiates the conversation, says, follow me. This guy says, Lord, first let me go bury my father, and then I'll come and follow you. Now, scholars who study this passage a lot more than I have kind of debate whether or not this guy's father had died yet or not. There's a lot of people who believe that his father was about to die. So all this guy wanted to do was go back, spend the last couple of days with his dad, and then give him a proper burial, which is obviously something he would want to do. But even deeper than that was the highest of religious obligations that a son would give his father a proper burial. Huge obligation. So the guy simply wanted to go back, do that, and then he'd follow Jesus. Some people believe his dad had just died. And so he wanted to go back, just give his father a proper burial, and then he would come and follow Jesus. And Jesus says these words. And they seem pretty bold and pretty brash to me. In my own life, a little over a year ago, my father, my dad, best friend, passed away unexpectedly from a heart attack. And I cannot imagine hearing Jesus say, let the dead bury their own dead. But you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. What does that mean? I think what Jesus is saying here is that there is a responsibility. There is an obligation that supersedes every other responsibility and obligation in life. And that responsibility, that obligation is for you to go and proclaim the, proclaim the kingdom of God. It is more important than anything else that you would want to do or that you would need to do. I am worthy of all of your plans and dreams. Jesus is worthy of all of our trust, all of our plans and dreams. And number three, Jesus is worthy of all of our affections. Last guy says, let me go back and just say goodbye to my family. Then I'll follow you. And Jesus says, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. You see, Jesus knows that if this guy goes back to his family, then one of two things, maybe both will happen. That once he gets back there, tells his family, hey, I'm going to pack my bags and move. I'm going to be gone. I don't know if I'll ever come back. I'm going to follow this guy, Jesus. And there's a good chance that those who care about him, those who love him, whether it's parents, brothers, sisters, whoever it may be, will look at him and start asking questions. Well, do you think this is a wise decision? Do you think it's a safe decision? Do you think this is a good financial decision? What about marriage? What about all of these other things in your life? Same kind of questions that if a college student was to go home to his or her parents and say, hey, I'm going to pack my bags and I'm going to move to Thailand. I'm going to give my life to serve Christ there. There's a good chance those parents are going to look at that college student and say, well, let us help you pack your bags. When are you going to get out of here? Maybe they, you might say that, but most likely not. Jesus knows that there's some strong family ties there. And the second thing that might happen is that guy might get back around his family, around the people that mean the most to him, his friends, the comfort zone that he has. And he might start to think, you know, I, I, could, I could follow Jesus from here. I don't really have to leave and go. And Jesus says, I am worthy of all of your affections. You follow me. I am more important than any other love in your entire life. All of your affection belongs to me. Jesus is worthy of all of our trust. He's worthy of all of our plans and dreams, and he's worthy of all of our affections. During uh, the month of June, I had the opportunity to go to a country in Asia, and I'm not going to I'm not going to name the country this morning, not because I think there are any spies in here or anything, but just because there are security issues in that country because it's illegal to share the gospel in this particular country. It's illegal for believers to gather together like we've gathered together and sing praises to Christ with a passion to proclaim Christ. So we went into this country, and the first two weeks, I had taken a team there, and the first two weeks, we were, we were backpacking in some villages that had no exposure whatsoever to the gospel, not even heard the name of Jesus 
very remote villages, and we took some materials, CDs and tapes that were written in the language of, of those people, and we would put them in places in their villages where they would hopefully find them a week or two after we were gone so they wouldn't know that we were doing that. And this was a, this was a great time, a very challenging time for me. I'll be honest with you. I am, I am a city boy through and through, hiking at, at 10,000 feet in the air. I think the last time I had been camping out was in my backyard, and my mom brought us popcorn. Uh, so this was a real, this is a real stretch for me, and God did some incredible things in my life during that time. The next two weeks, took another team into a college campus, and our whole goal was to build relationships and share the gospel on that college campus with a lot of people who had never heard of Christ. And that was the plan, and that's what the rest of the team ended up doing. But God kind of turned things upside down for me in a way that I really never could have imagined. We had gotten there on a Friday night, kind of recouped on Saturday. And Sunday, our contact came to me. Uh, We're going to call him Tommy. It's not really his name, but just to protect what he's doing there and the fact that if he were found out that he would be kicked out of that country, and it'll just be a little more fun this way, all right? So we'll call him Tommy. And he said, I want you guys to meet this couple. We'll call them Peter and Mary. You see, this is fun. You feel like you're inside or something, okay? And so Tommy said, I want you guys to meet Peter and Mary. Peter and Mary are native to that country in Asia, and they are the leaders of the house church network there. You see, because believers can't gather together like this, they gather together late at night in secret in their villages to worship Christ. At the risk of imprisonment, or even worse, they worship his name. And so he said, I want you guys to meet this couple. And I'd read enough about house churches to know that it's pretty rare for Westerners, particularly Americans, to be associated with those kind of people, just because many times overseas, Westerners, especially Americans, are associated with Christianity and missions. And so to be able to spend time with those type of people would put into jeopardy their security. And so that I'd read enough to know that it was pretty rare to be able to even meet those people. So I was pumped. I couldn't wait. We went over to their apartment that night. We walked in, sat down, and this couple, amazing couple, they look at us and they start sharing about how their churches gather together late at night in secret how when they worship, they have different people stand guard at different places in the villages in order to watch out just in case anybody were to come. They would be able to alert those who are worshiping and they would be able to scatter before they were arrested or even worse. They talked about how their churches were growing, how people were coming to know Christ. My my jaw was just on the ground. I couldn't believe I was hearing this firsthand. We were asking them questions and at one point I asked them, I said, said, how do you train up new leaders in your churches, new believers? As your churches are growing, how do you train them up? And they looked at me and they said, well, that's one of our weaknesses. We're really struggling with that right now. I didn't see it coming, but about 10 minutes later, they turn to each other, they start speaking to each other in their own language, and they turn back to me and they said, would you be willing to train some of our house church leaders during your time here? You know, there's some things you just don't need to pray about before you say yes to. I looked back, I said, I would be honored. I don't want to put you guys at any greater risk to your security, but I would love to do that if you think it would be helpful. They said, we're going to our worship service tonight. They worship from about 8.30 to midnight. And they said, we're going to worship. We'll see if some leaders are available and basically if they're willing to risk it and we'll let you know tomorrow. So the next morning, I was sitting there praying and journaling. Tommy comes in and he says, Dave, training starts today at two o'clock. So at two o'clock, I walk into this apartment. All of the blinds are closed, very dark. And there in a circle are about 20 or 25 house church leaders from this country 
sitting on the floor or in little stools with their Bibles open, ready to study God's word. And so we started. I can't, I can't remember where we started. All I know is that eight hours later, we were still going strong. They're just eating it up. It gets to about 10 o'clock that night. They said, we want to do this some more. Can you do this some more? Yeah, I can do this some more. And so the next morning we get together and the next morning, and to make a long story short, for the next two weeks, from eight to 12 hours a day, I was in underground locations in this particular country training house church leaders in God's word. And this morning, I would like to give you a little bit of a glimpse of some of the things that I saw. I want you to see this morning their hunger for God's word. These people, most of them uneducated, sitting on little stools for eight to 12 hours a day, just writing down everything I said. Remember, there was one point, one, one, one point, two or three days into it, I was walking through the new book of Nehemiah. I was getting in the background and the history of the book of Nehemiah, showed them some different passages that show them the importance of the word of God and the people of God. And afterwards, we took a break and they were sitting in small groups and I could tell they were talking about something pretty intensely. Finally, they sent somebody over to me. They said, we have a question for the teacher. I said, okay. They looked at me and they said, all this stuff from, from Nehemiah, this background in the history, we never knew that stuff before. They said, they we really liked hearing it. Would you be willing to do that for us with all the books of the Old Testament? That's exactly what I did. I laughed in their face. I said, that's ridiculous. That will take forever. They said, we'll do it. These are farmers. They left their fields completely unattended for two weeks, and that's what we did. We started out with the history of the Old Testament, the background of the Old Testament, started in Genesis, walked all the way through Malachi for the next two weeks. Just imagine... Just imagine trying to teach the book of Song of Solomon to a bunch of Asian believers, okay? And just praying that they won't ask you questions, all right? And they sit there and they just eat it up every single day. We got to the next to the last day, finished Malachi. I was thinking, wow. Got up. They said, we, we want to do training 12 hours tomorrow since it's the last day. So we got up early in the morning, went over there. We got there. I'm thinking, Lord, I don't have any clue what else to say. We've been through the whole Old Testament. So I start talking about something. Got about an hour into it. Somebody raised their question. They said, raised their hand and said, teacher, this is helpful and all, but we got a problem. I said, what's the problem? They said, you gave us the whole Old Testament, but we haven't done the New Testament yet. I said, you're kidding. They said, no, we want it. And so we walked from Matthew to Revelation in the next 12 hours. These people loved the word of God. They sat on little stools for 12 hours every day and just listen to it. And their hunger for God in prayer, I'll never forget, they, they, liked to, uh, they liked to sing before we began to study God's word. And one day we were singing and Mary kind of stopped things. She said, before we continue singing, I need to share some things. And tears begin to stream down her face and she begins to talk about how in that room there were two main house churches represented one of them had had some of their leaders recently confronted by some government officials who had come to their door and said, we know something's going on, you better stop what you're doing, and then made threats against them. If you don't stop what you're doing, this will happen to you, this will happen to your family, or this will happen to your land. And she said at the same time, this other house church has been attacked and hit really hard by a cult in that area. A cult 
It goes a lot deeper than Mormonism or Jehovah's Witnesses. This is a horrible cult in that area that will basically kidnap believers, take them to different places, and torture them in ways that I just just won't describe this morning, but horrible ways. She's got tears streaming down her face, and she said, with these things happening, our churches were growing, but now this is happening with the government, this is happening with this cult. And she said, I've begun to wonder if God has forgotten about us or if God still loved us. And she said, It's at this time that God has chosen to bring his servant from the other side of the world to us to encourage us from his word. About that time, another guy sitting in front of me speaks up. I wish you could meet this guy. He's kind of the head of security, real teddy bear-like a guy. This guy, whenever you can imagine sitting in a small room, knowing that the next minute could be your last learning God's word in this setting, Every time there's a noise outside or a knock at the door, everybody kind of tenses up and looks at each other, and this guy's the one who'll go and check things out. He's got tears pouring down his face. He said, I'm a part of this church that's been attacked by this cult. He said, I was almost pulled away by them myself. He goes on and he said, I've basically come to the end of my spiritual rope, and I went into an extended fast. I fasted and prayed for days, and I broke my fast on Sunday night, and that's the night I found out that God had brought a servant here to encourage us from his word. Ladies and gentlemen, you do not program that. You don't plan that. That's just something the Holy Spirit of God does. And I look around the room, and they're all in tears. And they say, we need to pray and sing some more. And before I know it, in a circle around that room, they fall on their faces, weeping audibly. And I'll be honest with you, I was right there with them. I lost it. And for the next 45 minutes or next hour, we were on our faces just weeping before the Lord, praying and singing. You know what they were praying? They were praying, God, thank you for not forgetting about us. God, thank you for loving us. God, thank you for still being with us. I know preachers have a tendency to exaggerate, and for that I apologize. What I'm about to say is no exaggeration. We would get up after times like that. I would look around the room, and literally, there would just be puddles of tears in a circle around the room. Visible puddles of tears by people who love their God. And they know the cost. They know the cost. We had been doing the training in the city the first two or three days. But they came to me and they said, Dave, we're going to have to move the training to different places in order not to draw attention to what's going on, which means we're going to have to leave the city and go into the villages. And that's a greater security risk for them because it's common to see a foreigner in the city, but not very common to see a foreigner in the village. A lot more suspicion with that. And so they said, Dave, when we go into the villages, we're going to need you to, to wear pants and a jacket with a hood on it. We're going to put you in the back of our car you're going to put that hood on and just kind of ball up some when we drive into these places. Once you get out, we'll, have, we'll get as close as we can to the place where we're meeting. Somebody will escort you inside. We'll put you inside in a place where nobody can see you through windows or doors. You'll do the training, then we'll sneak you out the same way. And so that's what we did the next, the next week and a half. These people who would come in shifts at different times who would bike or walk to that place where they would be trained in God's word, knowing the cost, knowing what they were getting into, I remember one day I was, I was talking about disciple making and talking about the importance of baptism. And there were two guys in there that had not been baptized. One of them had recently become a believer. The other was a 15-year-old kid, 15-year-old kid that had come there with his uncle, wasn't even a Christian. Well, he got saved that day. Then the next day they said, we want to be baptized. And so they asked me to do some more in-depth teaching on baptism. And so I did. I talked about how in baptism we, we publicly identify with Christ and with his church. And I got to the end and I said, I realized that in your culture, in this country, that this is something that might cost you your life. 
So here's what they did. They brought those two guys out in front of the whole church and they looked at them one by one and they said, are you willing to be baptized today knowing that it may cost you your life? First guy they bring out, the new believer, are you willing to be baptized today knowing that it may cost your life? He looks back at them and he says, I have already sacrificed everything to follow Jesus. I want to be baptized. Second guy, 15-year-old kid, teenagers hear this loud and clear, 15-year-old kid brought in front of the whole church, got in his face and said, are you willing to be baptized today knowing that it could cost you your life? And this 15-year-old kid looks back at them and says, Jesus is my Lord. Whatever he says, I'll do it. And so we take these two guys into the bathroom in the back and baptize them in the bathtub. They know the cost. Jesus is worthy of our trust. Get the picture. Just imagine with me. You're going to a worship service you get some pants and a jacket with a hood on it. You get into the back of the car where you kind of ball up. You drive up into the darkness into this village. You get out and an Asian believer holding a flashlight escorts you down this long path. You round the corner and come into this small room, nowhere near the size of the stage, maybe just the middle part right here. You come in there, all of these, all of these people crammed in, about 60 believers crammed in one little area with one light bulb hanging in the middle and they look at you and they say, we want you to preach for at least two hours. That's a preacher's dream, okay? <laughs> and so I do. And I sit there, 60 believers crammed in on little stools, uncomfortable little stools are on the floor, old, young alike, just sitting there listening to God's word, singing his praises. I know what you're thinking. Dave, how, how can we help out those believers? That room, they're crammed in, one little light bulb hanging in the middle. Let's get together some resources. Let's get together some things that we can send over to them. How can we help them? Ladies and gentlemen, I am here to tell you this morning that the Holy Spirit is doing just fine in that country without all of the resources that we surround ourselves with. I became so convicted that we are people that are so dependent on machinery and programs and methods and resources that somewhere along the way there is a dangerous temptation for us to completely lose sight of our power that is found only in the Holy Spirit of God.
Heart of Soul Gospel Ministry is looking for volunteers in tech editing to ensure the quality of the broadcast and the addition of more encouraging and empowering programs. Volunteer hours are three hours a week, and anyone who's had experience with computer before can participate. And don't worry if you're not familiar with the sound editing program. Heart and Soul will provide basic training and editing. So if anyone is interested in helping out our ministry, please contact us at 602-866-8999. Thank you. Following is a program titled, The Lord is My Shepherd, where we learn about our Lord who is our shepherd through Psalm chapter 23. Hello everyone, this is Jim Hughes with The Lord is My Shepherd. We've been thinking together about our God, the Good Shepherd, by looking at Psalm 23. We are now at the last verse of this psalm, verse 6. Let's read through the first five verses that we've studied together and think about how through each verse we are portrayed as lambs guided by our God, our Good Shepherd as we reread these verses together. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You have anointed my head with oil. My cup overflows. We have studied Psalm 23 line by line, thinking from the point of view of the shepherd, the effort that he puts in to take care of the sheep that he chose. Do you understand how God as our Good Shepherd, takes care of us just the same. My God, my Shepherd, chose me as His Lamb, letting me know that He is my Master. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He establishes my surroundings, allowing me to rest in peace. He is not trying to make me content with one place only. To lead me to a higher and better place, he sometimes has to lead through the valley of the shadow of death. But are you encouraged to believe that through all this, because of God's thorough care for us and his perfect love for us, we do not have to worry about anything? To raise me as a lamb that he sees as good, he sometimes uses a disciplining rod or a consoling staff? Do you feel how he guides us so that even though there are people that want to take revenge on us, he leads us by faith to rely on him and to live in the comfort he provides? I think that the ultimate purpose of our lives includes acknowledging God as Lord in all aspects of our lives, always obeying him and following him as we continue to exercise trust in Him, who is our Good Shepherd. It is as we 
confidently entrust our lives to Him, that we can confess with the psalmist what he states in the front part of verse 6 in Psalm 23. Surely goodness and loving-kindness will follow me all the days of my life. We must consider this. David's confession states, all the days of my life. All the days of my life means that this applies to all aspects of his life. He's confessing that in all the days of his life, in all the aspects of his life, that God's goodness and loving-kindness will definitely follow him. Now, I'd like for us to think about this for a bit. So far, reading through Psalm 23, we saw the picture of the Good Shepherd, who does not take his eyes off his flock, or leave his duties over the flock, even for a moment. We have also seen that this flock of sheep cannot live without the care and protection of the shepherd. But what do our lives look like? Do you believe that God will truly, in all the days of your life, in every aspect of your life, care for you and guide you in his goodness and loving-kindness? When everything is going well and we are comfortable, we can easily confess this. When the business is flourishing, the kids don't cause any trouble. They're smart, go to a good school, have good jobs, and no one is terribly ill among us. Our health is great and there is no one causing trouble at the church. When everything is literally at peace, we don't have any problem praising God and lifting up the name of our Lord. And we don't have any difficulty telling God that we love Him. But what if things weren't going so well? When the business is struggling, when the kids only cause trouble, we are ill, or there are others around us who suffer with illness. There are people that bother us, making our lives difficult. Can we confess to God that we love Him? Saying, God, I'm thankful for all these things, the situation you have put me in, the people that I'm surrounded by, I trust in you, God. I place my faith in you. I praise your name, my God. Can we still confess that from the bottom of our hearts? And if we cannot, why is that? What is making us unable to declare our confidence in God, our love for God in those circumstances? Doesn't this show our lack of faith in the shepherd? The Israelites even after experiencing God's miraculous deliverance during the exodus from Egypt, did not wholly trust in God, their shepherd who led them. Whenever they faced obstacles, they blamed God. That was because they didn't have complete faith in the shepherd within their hearts. In the end, because of their lack of faith, their lives ended in the wilderness before setting foot in the promised land. God, who is our shepherd, wants us to wholly place our faith in him. God guides us in our lives, molding us to become more and more trusting in him through this journey. Only if we have such faith can we confess with David. 
Surely goodness and loving kindness will follow me all the days of my life. How then does such faith arise? Does it just spring up one day? What we have been learning by reading through Psalm 23 is how the shepherd takes care of his sheep step by step and guides them. If we can see the care of the shepherd toward his flock, we can see God's care for us. The reason we, God's chosen people, are where we are, living as we live now, is because of the care of our Good Shepherd. He's present with us in every aspect of our lives and has been all the days of our lives, even before we knew Him. He chose us to be His sheep, and He raised us, taking care of us. When we start to recognize His care for us, we will start to have faith in Him. This is how we experience God and how we learn more about God through experience. Only those who experience God can place their faith completely in God. Can you see the tender care of our God, our Shepherd, in the various parts of your life? Take some time to reflect and meditate on God's care for you the care of God that has always been extended to you and guiding you through all things. Look around yourself right now. Even if the circumstances surrounding you aren't pleasant, even if difficult and painful, remember God's care, which is greater than that circumstance. He who has been with you until now isn't letting go of you, even at this moment. His goodness and loving kindness will never leave you and will be with you all the days of your life. Surely goodness and loving kindness will follow me all the days of my life. I pray the psalmist David's confession will also be our confession. Thanks for listening. Join us again next week for more from The Lord is My Shepherd. This is the air I breathe This is the air I breathe Your holy presence 
Your very word. 
for God. Are you hungry for him? If we crave more for the worldly things in our lives, more than we crave God's will, we miss the purpose of our lives. I hope that we seek desperately for the Holy Spirit before anything else in our lives. When we seek the Holy Spirit desperately, He will help us live our lives according to God's purpose. I hope that we live our lives throughout this week seeking for God like a thirsty deer desperately searching for a small river. We will now wrap up our Unity in Christ message for today. Thank you for listening, as it has been my pleasure. I hope to see you again this time next week, and God bless. As the deer for the water so Seven.